But here we are in lesson 26 of the study of Hebrews. We're in the middle of chapter 9. Last week we covered verses 11 through 14 of chapter 9. And the author explained just how complete the work of Messiah Yeshua was. His act of selfishness atoned for sin and cleansed in a way that the offerings of the tabernacle could not do. The blood of goats and bulls offered as a cleansing of the flesh were offered as a cleansing of the flesh. But that cleansing needed to be done over and over because the nation and its people transgressed over and over. However, those offerings were unable to cleanse the conscience of the offerer. Yeshua's offering was so complete that it offered a cleansing of the conscience, made us aware of the devastating effect of our transgressions, just how devastating they were, and how great the forgiveness of our God. So let's read those. Let's just read those verses again for continuity before we continue. It says, But when Messiah appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained an eternal salvation, redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled those who have been defiled, sanctifying Sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Messiah through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We have, because of Messiah Yeshua's selflessness, selfless act, been given through no merit of our own eternal life an eternal redemption, an eternal priesthood, so we can serve the living God. We have through uh, Messiah having died and our having died with Messiah, eternal salvation. In the sense of Israel as a people, we have been released because of that death from the Mosaic Covenant. The wages of our transgression were death. And with Messiah's death and our being joined with him in his death, we have been released from that former covenant. So the author now tells them, he says, For this reason Messiah is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. We should understand a couple of things here. First, this word mediator of the new covenant. He's mediator because of his death. Many translations kind of obscure the meaning here. I like the Young's literal here. And I'm going to read it. And because of this, of a new covenant, he is mediator. That Death, having come for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, those called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Because of Messiah, his death for Israel and the cleansing of the consciousness that it, conscience that it brings, we are able to serve the living God, not under the former covenant, but in and through a new covenant. 
And with this covenant, Messiah is our mediator. And the word mediator here means a go-between, a medium of communication, an arbitrator. You know, people often say to me, should we pray, for you, pray to Yeshua? Or I've heard people say, we shouldn't pray to Yeshua, we should pray right to the Father. Well, according to these verses, I think we better start praying to Yeshua. He's our medium of communication. You know, I've heard rabbis attack our, uh, the faith, saying Christians need a mediator. But we're Jews. We don't need a mediator. We can go directly to God. All I can say to that rabbi is you're a teacher and you don't know the scriptures. You need to read your Torah again because there's only been one brief moment in the entire history of Israel that they didn't need a mediator. And that was at the foot of Mount Sinai when God spoke in their hearing. And as soon as he spoke, they asked for a mediator. And that's the way it's been ever since. However, now that the prophet like Moses has come, through him we can hear the very words of God. He'll tell us the very words of God. Israel, through Messiah, is no longer subject to that former covenant because of death. Messiah died, and through him we die to our old life and the former covenant as well. Listen to Romans 6. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Messiah Yeshua were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him and through baptism into, into death in order that just as Messiah was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. We have to understand this in order to understand the, the, our new covenant in the, ver, in the next few verses. When you accept Messiah Yeshua and you are immersed, you die to your old life. Remember, this letter to the, is the letter to the Hebrews, Messianic Jews. And so if you're of the nation of Israel, you die to your old self. And when you come up out of the water, you're a new creation. You have a new life and a new covenant. Yeah, you're still a Jew, but now you have a new covenant and a new mediator, and you're no longer under the former covenant because you died. And upon that death, that covenant is null and void. The price for your transgressions has been paid through Messiah Yeshua. You're no longer of the Sinai covenant, but you're now of a new covenant. And no longer are you under that mistaken rabbi I've spoken of above. He's no longer your teacher. A mediator, but now Messiah Yeshua is your mentor, your mediator. Messiah told us that whatever we ask, in his name the Father will give us. That is, if it's in our best interest. The forgiveness of your sins committed under that first covenant are the beginning of the benefits under Messiah. Under the new covenant, you have received a promise of an eternal inheritance. How long is that? Right? If you're Jewish, if you're part of the nation of Israel, you have a new covenant with an eternal promise. You have an eternal redemption, an eternal promise. And if we go back, to, if we move ahead to chapter 13 and verse 20, it says, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, 
brought back from the dead, our Lord Yeshua, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good thing for every good for doing his will, that he may work in us what is pleasing to him through Messiah Yeshua, to whom be glory forever and ever. And everybody said, you now have an eternal covenant. That's why Jeremiah says this. Jeremiah 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they, they will not teach again each man his neighbor or each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they'll all know me from the least to the greatest of them declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and sin, and I will remember it no more. Israel, the Israel who has accepted Messiah Yeshua have an eternal redemption because God is not going to remember their sins, their transgressions any longer. That new and eternal covenant has eternal promises which he stated earlier in chapter 8, better promises. Jeremiah knew that God was going to bring about a redeemer who would redeem Israel with a redemption that was so complete that God would not remember the sins of Israel anymore. And long before Jeremiah, David knew it. David said, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. So that's for the Jewish people. For the nation of Israel. For Judah and Israel. Well, what about the non-Jews? Who are not part of this former covenant. Who are not even mentioned in the new covenant. That Jeremiah announced. Where do they stand? Well, remember, there was a promise given to Abraham in Genesis 22. It says, I swear by myself, says the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. The Lord promised Abraham, swearing by himself because there's nothing higher to swear by, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. And how was God going to keep these promises? How was he going to keep this promise to the, uh, Abraham of the nations? He promised Israel an eternal covenant with better promises. Well, what about the nations? Well, Romans chapter 11 tells us. He says this. This is how you Gentiles fit in. If some of the branches have been broken off, you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap of the olive root. He blessed the nations by grafting them in to the nation of Israel through the Messiah Yeshua. And once grafted in, Peter tells us this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen people. 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what about the nations? Well, you've been grafted into this amazing covenant. You're part of the olive tree, grafted in through the offering of Yeshua. And you can now draw near to God as well. Through the offering of Yeshua, you're being part of Israel. And you're being part of Israel. You have an eternal covenant with an eternal God. You have a covenant with better promises. Your redemption is eternal as well. It can't be taken away from you. Right? Well, let's see. I want to read a little bit more in Romans. It says this. If some of the branches were broken off and you, though a wild olive, should have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap of the olive root, do not boast over the natural branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, they were broken off. Because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. No one can take this redemption away from you that is but you. I would not want to be one of those who say, they love Yeshua, they love the word of God, and then boast over the natural branches. Those who say they've replaced Israel in the economy of God. Those who say the Jewish people are no longer be the beloved of God. Those who say they rejected Yeshua, so God has rejected them. Because I can tell you this, after Jeremiah promises that new covenant, he says this in, in, in verse 36 of chapter 31. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will the descendants of Israel ever cease to be a nation before me. That, this is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens can be measured and the foundations of the earth be searched below, will I reject the descendants of Israel because of all they have done. How many uh, can tell me how the measurements of the heaven? Anybody here? And you never will because they can't be measured. And Israel, the Jewish people as a nation, cannot be forsaken by God either. If you're, and if you are grafted into that nation, you can't be forsaken either. If you're from the nations, you don't want to be one of those who boast over the natural branches. No, you want to be one of those who love and support and be a witness to those natural branches so that in some way, we can begin to repair the black eye that the church has given the Messiah because of centuries of hatred we have shown the Jewish people, the natural branches. And that's a matter of history. You don't have to believe me. And now for the good news. We're going to have a renewed opportunity to do just that. It will mean that we're going to be, some of us will be making a little sacrifice. But it will also mean that God is going to bless us as well. As a community, the first sacrifice is that some is going to have to make, especially if they come from the east, is they're going to have to drive 10 minutes longer to Shabbat services. 
The blessing is, when you get there, you're not going to have to walk blocks to get to the building. Because we're going to have a parking lot. I measured the amount of time this week it took from on 94, from our exit, to get to the Louisiana Avenue where you get off to get to our new building. It was 10 minutes. That's the bad news, but I'm going to tell you something. Everything else is good news. Because after that 10-minute drive, the blessings begin because you get out of your car and you won't be walking blocks up the city street to the church, but you'll be walking through our own parking lot to a building that was built and served as 40 years as a synagogue. No steeples here. No crosses on the outside here, but a beautiful place to worship the Holy One. Blessed be He. And that'll... And the beauty of it will be more evident as you enter into the greeting area. And you're greeted by the greeters in this wonderful reception area. And then after you've been greeted, you go right over to the greeter's desk and pick up your bulletin and get greeted once more. And then you can go over and hang up your coat. There's two coat racks in that greeting area. So you don't have to carry your coat into the synagogue and worry about it during... Worried if it's going to get locked in here. Perhaps you arrived... To the, and the prayer service has already begun. And so you have to wait to enter the sanctuary. Well, you can avail yourselves of one of the waiting areas and just smooth with them. someone else who arrived late. Right? <laughs> or maybe you were studying this week and you, you thought you needed a resource, resource so you can step over to the library that's also in the greeting area and search for that reference that you were looking for. That quote you've been searching for all week. Two slides of the library so you can see there's plenty of room for the book that you were looking for. And then one of the greeters tell you that the service has ended and so you can now ascend to the sanctuary on the ramp in our handicap accessible synagogue and sanctuary. You come into the sanctuary along the side of the bema so that when you turn to sit down, you're going to be facing the ark and you're going to be facing east. Now, if you're a sound person, I want you to note the sound booth at the rear on the right of the sanctuary. Same level as everybody else so you can hear what's actually hear what's going on. Right? And then you'll note the video booth over on the right side, right? And there's, you'll notice that there's two video cameras that rise from each booth. And there's one behind that curtain that you can't see, along with another 200 chairs, because the sanctuary actually seats 400 plus, even though you can only see 200 chairs because they, they spread them out because they were such a small congregation, they wanted to look more full the camera, video cameras are set up for live web streaming so that we can be a blessing to those who have no Messianic synagogue to attend to. They also, send, they also send that service throughout the building to different monitors. So, when, so uh, if you're taking care of the nursery, you'll be able to watch the service along with the children. And then when you sit you, and you turn back toward the stage area... 
I want you to just kind of have to imagine our beautiful ark at the front of the sanctuary there and our bima as well. You'll have to imagine twice as many seats because like I said, the current owners move most of the seats out, half of the seats out and put them in storage. You'll notice there's no clutter here for sound equipment or projectors because the overheads have rear-facing projectors behind a wall. The same with the speakers. They don't show. They're behind the wall. Here's a couple other views of the sanctuary. Or the, there you go. A couple other views there of the sanctuary. Now, if you take your child to class, you'll have, you go downstairs and you'll take them to one of four children's classrooms down there. All of those classrooms are alongside the fellowship hall and will double as uh, fellowship areas during the Onig. Uh, you'll notice that you won't have to wonder where your children are anymore. You'll be able to see where they are during the Onig. Large windows in each classroom so we can easily see what's going on in those classrooms. Also, note the monitor in each classroom so that you can see the service. So there are four classrooms, and, it, and the classrooms, again, like I say, run along the fellowship hall. We put some pictures up here of those. Finally, you'll notice our complete commercial kitchen. For those of you who like to cook, we have this huge commercial stove. <laughs> Alongside, there's two ovens. In the next one, you can see our, our double refrigerator. A better view of the sinks and ovens. You can also see the stainless steel refrigerator, but what you can't see is the stainless steel freezer right next to it. So that's our new building. We still got a few hoops to jump through, but we do have a purchase agreement on it, so that's the good news. Now I want to bring up one more thing. We're moving to St. Louis Park, and let me say, the Messianic presence over there, over the years, has been less than sensitive to the Jewish community. I spoke of boasting over the natural branches, and Paul also, in the book of Romans, speaks of sensitivity issues regarding the festival days and foods. We're going to want to be sensitive to the community around us. We have this amazing opportunity here to be the kind of witness to the Jewish people of St. Louis Park that God said we'd be. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 21 says, I will make them envious by those who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation that has no understanding. The Lord prophesied through Moses that there would be a people that would make Israel envious as they'd made him as envious. They had worshipped other gods. And so the Lord said, I will take another people to be my own as well. The nations are that people fulfilling this promise and the promise given to Abraham that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The Apostle Paul envisioned the Messianic movement would be to his brothers in the flesh, the Jewish people, a provocation as well. As he says in Romans 11, he says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation is come to the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. And then again he says in verse 13, he says, I'm talking to you Gentiles. As much as I am apostle to the Gentiles, 
I make much of my ministry in hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And so, as we move into the heart of this Jewish community, we have this amazing opportunity. We have more, and we have, through history, we are able to see the mistakes that have been made over the centuries that didn't drive Israel to envy or emulation, but just the opposite. Paul tells us the mistake the Romans made in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Messiah in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, But it is wrong for man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. You see, the Romans were not sensitive to the Jewish people as they returned from exile from their homes in Rome under Claudius. Well, we can learn from that. We can be sensitive in the areas of food and holy days as the Jewish people return from the exile they've suffered from their beloved Messiah. So we can learn from Scripture to take care not to offend with food or days of worship, but in all things keep the heart of God for the salvation of His people at the forefront of our actions and our minds. We can also learn from the history of the church. Martin Luther, who began the beginning of his ministry, longing to win over to Messiah the Jewish people, But then he ran into some resistance and he stumbled. And he wrote anti-Semitic writings that have haunted the Lutherans for centuries. We can learn from that. And we can exercise the patience of God. And as Yeshua said, if insulted, turn the other cheek. You know, whatever anybody says about us means nothing. But the minute we start opening our mouths and speaking bad about other people, that says something about us. Amen? The point is this, if all goes well in the next few weeks with this sale, we're going to be given this amazing building and amazing opportunity and responsibility to be the people of God who make our brothers, either by birth if you're Jewish or rebirth if you're from the nations, envious. Let us, through Messiah, rise, or if necessary, bow and humble ourselves to rise to the occasion.